Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I am happy to be with you again this week to discuss a topic that comes up with some degree of frequency, and that is the perpetual 1031. So the question is, can I do a 1031 sale exchange and then do it again with that next property and again and again? And how how long can I do that? And does that ever come to an end? And if it doesn't, well, what does happen in the future? We're going to talk about that this week, as well as an alternative strategy that may, for you, yield similar results. As always, if you have questions, please do not hesitate to shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And don't forget to swing by the Learning Center at marapoling.com for lots of great additional educational content. Okay, let's dive in. So before we can talk about a perpetual 1031, let's step back and just run through what a 1031 sale exchange is. We purchase a piece of property, a $10 million asset. We put $5 million into it between our purchase upfront, improvements we make, and so on. We sell the property for $15 million. And maybe it costs us a million dollars to sell it between commissions and prepayment penalties and the loan and other things. So we made $4 million on a $5 million investment. That's an 80% equity return over whatever the period of time was that we held it. That's pretty good. If that's all we do, then we're going to owe tax on the $4 million. Now, it's going to be long-term capital gains tax. So that's a favorable rate. The rates are different depending upon what income brackets you're in. A great topic for you to discuss with your CPA as you're making investments. But there'll be some tax owed at a federal level and maybe at the state level, depending upon where you live. And there may or may not be a capital gains component uh, in terms of treatment uh, at the state level. Let's say in our example that there was going to be a tax and it was going to be about 30%. So of the $4 million, $1.2 million would disappear to tax, leaving $2.8 million. You add that to the original five, I now have $7.8 million to go buy something else to make another investment. And what I've just described is essentially the same process that would happen had I purchased five million share, uh, pardon me, five million dollars worth of a stock. I'd have so many shares of stock, and I might sell them someday in the future. And if I sold them, and uh, the five million dollars in stock was now worth nine million, so it went up in value by four, I would still have to pay tax on that $4 million. It could be long-term gain tax. I'd end up with the same amount of money. Well, one of the things we have discussed 
about investing in commercial real estate and that in particular we really like about multifamily commercial real estate is the ability to do a sale exchange and to defer that tax payment. So let's talk about what that looks like. We buy this property for 10 million. We sell it sometime later for 15. We take the entire $9 million that we net out of that property and we use that to buy a $16 million property or a $17 million property. We've purchased a property that's larger. That's one of the requirements. We've put all the money in that we received from the sale of the property. That's another requirement. And we do all this within certain time frames, which is another set of requirements. But if we can check all those boxes, we may be eligible then to execute a 1031 sale exchange. What that means is instead of having to pay $1.2 million, pardon me, what that means is instead of having to pay the $1.2 million in tax, we can wait to pay that later. And now instead of having, so 4 million minus the 1.2 was 2.8 million, 2.8 plus the 5 million, so 7.8. Instead of having 7.8 million and buying say a $16 million property, now I've got 9 million because I didn't have to pay the tax. And I can use that 9 million and I can go buy a 17 or an 18 or a $19 million property. I can buy a larger property. That larger property is going to generate more cash. The equity growth at the same rate will be larger because there's more equity invested. That $1.2 million stays inside the investment and it generates cash and it generates equity growth. Someday that property is sold and that's when you pay the tax because that 1.2 million is now an actual gain. So when you sell that second property, that maybe 18 or $19 million property, you sell it for say 25 million, all of the gain is now subject to tax. So you pay the 1.2 million that you would have paid initially, as well as tax on whatever that additional gain is. But that's, let's say five years down the road. So for five years, we've had the use of $1,200,000 and we haven't had to pay anything for that because I'm still going to pay the same tax later. Now I'm making some assumptions about tax rates being the same. They could go up, they could go down, they could eliminate the capital gains protection, uh, they could drop the capital gains rate to zero. All sorts of things could happen. For this purpose, we're simply assuming that the gains rates will be relatively stable, which over time is a fairly true statement. So we have received a $1.2 million interest-free loan from the government. That's the power of the 1031. So the question that we're talking about this week is about perpetual 1031s. When I sell that second asset, the asset that I purchased with the proceeds from the original 1031, can I do a 1031 then?
The answer is yes, with all the normal stipulations around who qualifies for a 1031 and how it needs to be structured and so on. So we're not not trying to dig into those. We simply want to talk about the ability, if you are structured correctly, to continue to do 1031s. So yes, you can. So we call the initial asset that's purchased in this chain the first generation asset. When it is sold and that first 1031 happens, the asset that's purchased, we call a second generation asset. You could then have another 1031 and have a third generation asset. I've got a property in the process of doing that right now. You could do that again with a third 1031 that would give you a fourth generation asset. Is there an end to all of that? Well, no, there isn't. You could string them on and on and on the entity, the party that does this 1031 would need to be an entity that was structured correctly to be able to do this. If you're doing this personally in your own name, this would be something you'd want to be talking to your attorney about, certainly your uh, tax attorney, if you have one, but also your estate attorney to make sure everything is structured correctly. Someday, one of two things happens. You get to a point where you say, this has been a fantastic ride. I've had millions and millions of dollars of interest-free debt given to me. I am now ready to cash out. And you cash out, and we'll make up a silly number. You walk away with $100 million in this example. And you might have to pay $30 million in taxes. But that $100 million was twice as big as it would have been otherwise because of these 1031 impacts along the way. So clearly you're coming out way ahead. You know what? And so is the government. The government's getting a bigger check net net by having this entire process take place. It is a win-win for everyone. But there's another opportunity that exists. And opportunity is maybe an odd word to use for it. There's another scenario we'll call it. If structured correctly, when the individual that owns that, when there is when that estate event happens, which is a nice way of saying when that individual passes away, and those assets transfer via their estate, again, structured appropriately, there is a possibility that those assets could uh, be treated to a step-up in basis, meaning that original asset that you bought where you put $5 million in, and that was the basis, I have 5 million in. And over time, all of those gains have turned that into 20 million and 30 million and 40 million. And there's so much value buried in there that when I sell, I'm gonna get 40 million and I can only claim the 5 million I put in, I've got tax on 35 million as an example. In a step-up in basis scenario, it's possible that the basis on those assets or that asset would be increased all the way to the 40 million, which was the value of that investment at the passing of that individual, effectively wiping out the tax exposure that existed. Now, this is a 
oversimplification. And if you are building your own portfolio and have interest in doing 1031 after 1031 after 1031, get yourself a good CPA that understands that process. Make sure you've got a good estate attorney and talk with them so that you're structuring all of this correctly and you understand all the ins and outs that go with it. If you're investing in syndications with sponsors like Mara Poling, individual asset syndications, you're probably not going to see 1031s. Pretty rare that that happens. You may, if you invest with a fund, see some 1031 activity. Our total return fund, as an example, utilizes that tool in most instances, not always, but in most instances. And if someone were to pass away while invested in one of those kinds of investments, they may in fact realize that step up in basis that I just described. So it is a tax deferral strategy in which the tax that's paid is paid years or decades from now with future dollars that are worth a fraction of what they're worth today. You pay that 1.2 million a day, it's 1.2 million. You pay that in 20 years at a roughly 3% inflation rate, and that 1.2 million is actually only $600,000 in purchasing power that you're paying that with. So the dollars you're paying with are worth less, and you're paying them years from now when you've had the ability to use that 1.2 million for that entire time frame. You know, if you think about it simply and say, all right, what if I was able to earn uh, 6%, what if I had to pay, pardon me, 6% to borrow 1.2 million? Uh, that would be, uh, what is that? Uh, 720, no, that's 60%. $72,000 uh, a year uh, over 10 years, that's $720,000 in interest I did not pay. That's money I made and saved by doing all of that. If in fact, I do get that step up in basis, then all of that tax potentially gets eliminated. Now, there may be other tax you're subject to in that event, estate tax and all sorts of other things. So again, talking to a competent CPA is, is important when you're putting all of those factors together. So how do I do this? Well, if you are building your own portfolio, you're halfway there. You can structure these assets correctly and keep this in mind as you go forward that whenever you look at an exit, you want to evaluate the ability to do a 1031 and continue to do that over and over again. Whether you're holding for five years or holding for 20 years, that exit could be as a 1031. What if you are a passive investor with someone like Mara Poling? Well, as I said, our fund has the ability to execute 1031s for the fund itself. Eventually, though, our fund, like every other syndication, will close. And when it does, there'll be final K-1s issued, tax documents, and there'll be tax that needs to be paid. So investing in our total return fund and other funds like it are really long-term tax deferral strategies that have very limited opportunities to actually become tax avoidance. We are working currently and are excited to be in a position to make an announcement, hopefully in the next 60 days or so, about some new tools we are bringing to the marketplace that will allow us to work with more modestly sized investors, folks like the people that are in our total return fund, uh, 
and help them invest through a syndication-like vehicle that ultimately does allow for perpetual 1031s on an individual basis. So that's an important opportunity. It's something we certainly would like to be able to help people with the ability to string 1031 together after 1031 after 1031 can be a very powerful tool in creating not just wealth, but multi-generational wealth. Now, what about another strategy that does something very, very similar? And there is one. If this sounds really complicated, wow, all those 1031s moving back and forth, it's got to be this size. I have only so much time. There's a lot of moving parts. You're absolutely correct. We believe the 1031 strategy is superior to other strategies in part because you also have opportunities to gain additional depreciation by virtue of moving to larger assets. There is another method though that allows you to free up the lazy equity, which is part of selling an asset and allows you to build essentially second and third and fourth generation assets they're done in parallel, and this is what that looks like. We have our original $5 million invested in a property that we paid $10 million for. It grows to be worth $15 million, and we don't sell it. What we do is we borrow $3 million out. That $3 million has no tax consequences associated with it because it's debt that we're borrowing out. There's cash that has to be paid. There's incremental debt service now, a larger mortgage payment that has to be paid on that money that's being drawn out. Let's say that's at 6%. So I'm paying 6% for that money. I'm now, though, going to take that money and I'm going to go buy another property. That next property becomes very much like my second generation asset. The return that it generates is essentially being generated on free money. I, I didn't spend anything to put that money there. So the $3 million that's going to generate $200,000, $300,000 a year in cash that is going to grow itself by $250,000, $350,000 a year, all of those returns are returns that are incremental to the return I had on the original asset that I purchased. Now, you have to net out, obviously, the cost of that debt, but you can see how you can get some very powerful growth. And now I have two assets. As they grow in value, I can do that again, and I can do that again, and I can do that again, and I can do that in perpetuity so that the original asset, the first generation asset, might be an asset I hold for 40 or 50 years. I may have refinanced it three or four times or taken supplemental debt. And from that, I've purchased a second asset and a third and a fourth. And the second asset, I've held it for 30 years, which means I've probably done the same with it. And I've pulled value out of it once or twice or maybe even three times. And again, with that third asset, and again, with the fourth, I could end up with a portfolio of four assets. I could end up with a portfolio of 10 different positions in which 
my strategies are buy and hold. And what I'm doing is taking the lazy equity and freeing it up by using debt. Well, that sounds pretty good, Pat. Why isn't that the preferred strategy? And again, it might be a preferred strategy for you. We like 1031s for tax purposes. Now, as I said, borrowing out lazy equity doesn't trigger a taxable event. And when you buy the new asset, you do get some incremental depreciation. When we sell an asset through a 1031 and buy the larger asset, in our experience, we get a larger amount of incremental depreciation opportunity in doing so, which allows us to generate losses that can protect the performance of the asset until we get to a point where we have generated another round of lazy equity and go through the 1031 again. There's also, when you're a value-add investor, which is what we are, there's also a point at which you've done all the value-add you can do, and the growth curve at that asset begins to plateau. We always would like to sell an asset with some meat on the bone so the next person can come along and do some improvements. If I were to hold an asset, though, for 10 or 15 or 20 years, I don't think that's realistic. At some point in time through that hold period, I would have fully improved the asset. If I hold it long enough, I might have to go through and do a second round of improvements just to keep it current with the marketplace. So there are different strategies and they do perform differently. They have similar tax experiences. Both are focused on this idea that we want to defer tax, pay it later, pay it later with future dollars that are worth less, ensure that we get long-term capital gains treatment on it, and position ourselves such that it might be possible to experience the step-up in basis that would wipe those out. Is a perpetual 1031 for you? Maybe it is. Uh, is investing and using this refinancing strategy to pull equity out for you? That's quite possible. And you don't, it's not an either or. You don't have to do one or the other. If you're a passive investor, finding opportunities where you can invest in a fund, for example, like our total return fund, that is going to do multiple 1031s over time could be of great value to you. And as I said, there may be opportunities you'll find, just as we are working on, where you can make an investment and be part of an investment group and ultimately be in a position to leave that group via a 1031 and protect yourself such that you could go forward and do a follow-up 1031 and another and another and so on achieving that goal of a perpetual 1031 for yourself. This can be a complicated topic. As I said, if you have any interest in doing this, you need to talk to a CPA and you need to talk to your attorney. Those folks are going to guide you on what makes the most sense for you. If you're a passive investor and you're looking to make an investment that has these types of benefits, I'm happy to chat with you if for no other reason than just to share what we have learned by doing this sort of work, whether that ultimately made sense for you to work with us or not is obviously 100% your choice. 
I would love the opportunity, though, to help you think more about how this strategy can help you significantly grow the value of your investments and ultimately pay the government even more in tax because the pie got lots and lots bigger. I hope you found this week's session valuable. If you have questions, as I said, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And please join us next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Polling.